Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, it is great to be with you. My name is Brandon. If we've not met, glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, joining us online, welcome. If you're back a second time, welcome back again. We're in the middle of our uh, summer series, and our theme is this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. James says in James 1.22, deceiving yourselves. And so our thought was this, what, you know, what if we all did this? Uh, what, what if we all did... Uh, the Bible. What if we all lived the Bible out? Not just all kinds of Bible study and journaling and, you know, listening to our favorite preacher, but if we all just went out, heard it, received it, digested it, and then applied it in our lives, what would happen? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our city? What would happen, you know, in our neighborhood, you know, with our kids and all of our relationships? And so we decided what we would do is study a couple of books this summer, Galatians and First Thessalonians, just to see how the scriptures would prod us on in living them out. And so we come to Galatians chapter five. This is perhaps the most passionate portion of Paul's letter in an already you know, passionate letter as if dear idiots from Galatians three wasn't enough. In fact, some of you, uh, as we read Galatians five, you're gonna wonder, is that really in the Bible? You know, did the apostle Paul actually say that? Yes, he did. So fair warning, uh, parents, this, this is probably a little bit PG 13, not because I'm trying to make it that way, but because the apostle Paul <laughs> actually said it. And so uh, we move to a little bit more of the practical portion, Galatians 5 and 6, as we wind down this week and next. We started the first couple of chapters, the personal, the middle chapters, theological, and now we move to some kind of practical application of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. So what I want to do is I want to divide Galatians 5 up in, in really to two parts. There's lots of ways we could dice it up, but really I want to focus this way, freed from. Paul says we're freed from something, but we're also freed to. So uh, the first 12 verses or so, we're freed from something. Paul explains it. And then we're freed to something, verses 13 to 26. And then right in the middle, Paul kind of throws a little bit of a fit. He's all over the place. He mixes metaphors. We go from, you know, running to, you know, um, food recipes, all, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, um, but, but it's actually important. So we'll hit that when we get there. And this, this concept, friends, that we're actually freed from something, not just freed from something, but we're freed to something in the Christian life has huge theological implications. In fact, I really sense it part of my duty as a pastor to help Christ followers understand that, that because of Jesus and because of the cross, we're not just freed from sin and the yoke of bondage and, and forgiven. All of that, that is true and it's wonderful and beautiful, but we're actually freed to go live some things out. So, you know, someone who, um, an inmate who has gained and obtained their freedom, that's wonderful, but now they, they have some choices about what they're going to go do they're free to go live life. And that's what we want to address and look at in the second part of Galatians chapter five. Before we do, let me um, answer a question that has come our way. And it, and it sounds like this, Pastor Brandon, what is the law? When you, you know, the last several weeks we referred to the law or the apostle Paul, as I read Galatians, he talks about the law. What this is, is what we're talking about here is what's referred to as the Mosaic law. So God gave um, the, the, the law or, or the laws that would govern his people 
to his people through what the Bible refers to as an intermediary or a kind of a middleman named Moses. And so we refer to it as the Mosaic law. And these are the do's and don'ts, the things that would um, create, hopefully create righteousness in God's people so that they would be viewed as righteous, kind of add up and they would be in right standing with their God. Paul in Romans chapter seven, verse 12, he actually refers to the law as good and righteous and holy, perfect, if you will. But here's the caveat with the apostle Paul, the point he's making, it's perfect, it's holy, righteous and good for those who live completely righteous and completely holy and perfectly. And therein lies the problem none of us have and none of us can. And, and so what the law does, the, the, so as you read the apostle Paul, what he says then in his letters in multiple places is, you know, I followed the law and it led me to Jesus. It was like this tutor, you know, as I tried to hold up under the law, I could never really do it. I, I, there was always something lacking of course there was, because I'm not perfect. I'm not completely holy. I'm not completely good. So I followed the law and what it reminded me of, what it showed me almost like a mirror is my need for a savior. It showed me that I needed Jesus. That's the law. Hopefully that's helpful to you. So we'll cover the entire chapter today quickly. I'm going to teach it line by line. We'll go through it. Uh, we'll move really fast in some areas and we'll slow down in a couple of others. A big idea, you'll see it on the screen there, is freed from and freed to. Freedom from and freedom to. So section number one, verses one through 12, the apostle Paul says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul says we're freed from something. We're, we're, we're freed from this, this old yoke, not an egg yoke. Uh, this would be like an oxen yoke, this, this thing that's weighing us down and, and tethering us to this bondage. Verse two says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul says, listen, you don't get to pick and choose. It's not all a cart. And what these Judaizers, we defined that term a few weeks ago, Judaizer of the Jews, you know, they're, they're trying to make you like the Jews. They're telling you today that it's circumcision and tomorrow it's going to be sacrifices. And then the next day, the next week, it's going to be, you know, some festival that you need to keep. And, the, and then it's an endless parade of doing. And Paul is saying, listen, if you want to operate in the flesh, the flesh is all you're going to get. He hits that in the second half of the chapter. We'll get to it. Verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. There's a play on words here. Paul uses that word severed and he uses it on purpose. There's a lot of cutting, if you will, in Galatians, especially Galatians chapter five. And he's saying, listen, those who want to essentially sever your foreskin, are severing you from Christ. Look at verse five, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through, here's that word love. Paul actually uses this word love four times throughout Galatians four, but notice these three words, spirit, faith, and love. The apostle Paul is actually setting up his argument in the second half of the chapter. He's kind of teeing up the ball, if you will. Now, here we go. We said that Paul kind of in the middle here pitches this 
little fit. He begins, he's all over the place, it would seem. He's mixing metaphors. And he begins this way in verse seven, a, a running metaphor. You were running well. An athletic metaphor. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, remember that word persuasion, is not from him who calls you. That word hindered, uh, some translations say cut. Who cut in on you? Who hindered you? He's trying to drive home again this idea of cutting. Those, those who want to cut on your flesh are cutting you off from Christ. You were running so well. We just came through the Olympics. And uh, some, we have some Olympic nerds at uh, Cove Church. You've been really glued to the Olympics. Uh, I actually watched the 84 Olympics in Southern California, in L.A., and uh, Mary Decker was far and away the favorite to win the gold medal in the 3,000 meters uh, for, for those games. And yet, some of you remember this imagery, Zola Budd cut in on her. They got their legs tangled up. And Mary Decker did not win the gold. Paul says, you were running so well. Mary Decker was running so well. Who cut in on you? And then he says this in verse 9. He switches metaphors. He says, a little leaven. He goes to a recipe. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Remember I said to, to remember that word persuasion. There's some sort of cunning. There's like this constant pecking. There's this seducing from the Judaizers that the Apostle Paul is referring to. And then he, and then he says, listen, there, there's a little bit of, there's the, the seduction is just a little bit of leaven of the law. Just keep a little bit of the law. I remember the first time I was introduced to fresh baked bread. I, I wonder if you remember in your home, maybe it was mom or grandma. In my case, it was both. I, I, I remember it. I can see it in my mind's eye. They, they would put this little lump of dough in this bread pan and they'd put, you know, um, a, like a wet towel over the top of it and they would stick it out by the wood stove to let it rise. And uh, the first time I saw that, I, I would, you know, I would go lift up the, the towel. My mom would kind of shoo me away. But what I noticed and there was this little lump of dough. It's not enough. Mom, you need to add some more dough in there, right? But sure enough, I came back a few hours later and that dough was coming up over the top of the bread pan. And here's my simple question. Church, in light of Paul's metaphor here, it's this. What do we tolerate big and small in our lives? And let me suggest this. Whatever we tolerate, we promote. These Judaizers were coming along and saying, just a little bit of leaven, new Christian. Just a little bit of leaven in order to add up in God's eyes. And I, and I wonder, I wonder, church, just in general, if we can resonate with this metaphor of leaven you know, a little bit won't hurt. No one will ever see it. It's just this tiny little amount. And then we get six months down the road, 12 months down the road, two, two years down the road. And, and our common refrain at that point is this, how in the world could this happen? Listen to it again. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I think that applies to trying to add up in God's eyes you know, to, to a works-based righteousness that Pastor Ethan talked about a few weeks ago. It, it has to do with sin as well. Just a little bit of leaven in our lives. He goes on, verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been 
removed. It, it seems obvious by this statement that these Judaizers, these people who were attacking Paul's gospel, were speaking out of both sides of their mouth. On, on one case, they were attacking, one sense they were attacking his gospel of done, the true gospel, that it's Jesus plus nothing else. But then out of the other side of, of their mouth, they were saying, you know what? Actually, the apostle Paul preaches circumcision, you know, just a little bit, so you can actually be circumcised. This was perhaps the seduction. And Paul saying, listen, if I still preach circumcision, then why would they be persecuting me? In fact, he says, if I still preach circumcision, then the offense of the cross, the cross has been so watered down, no one would care. Well, Pastor Brandon, what's the offense of the cross? Let me suggest this, Cove Church, that the cross forever and always sends this message at least. While you're loved, you are not good enough. Think about that. If, if you were, if you were good enough and you could produce your own righteousness in your life, I would have, believe me, I would have never sent my son, I think God would say. Remember I told you about my friend, family member, um, this person who married into the family. They just could not understand after studying Romans, reading Galatians, why does someone have to die for me? Listen, Brandon, I'm not the best person in life, but I'm a good person. To which I would say, yes, you are a good person. But then we, and you may think that yourself, like what? I'm a good person. Why would someone need to die for me? The question that we have to wrestle with in turn then is how good is good enough? Is, is it because I only stole three things in the last month and, and, you know, they stole like 15 things? Or, you know, I only, only said a few swear words in my head, but I didn't say them out loud, right? How good is good enough? That person, they're way worse than me because they actually said it out loud. Gentlemen, if you were to turn to your bride, if you're married, and just lovingly look her in the eyes, kind of turn her by the shoulders and say, sweetheart, you are not good enough. Do you think it would be offensive? The cross is an offense to all human pride. It's an offense to the can-do spirit. It's an offense to all who feel generally that they're good people and their actions, their good works will help them add up and be accepted in God's eyes. It certainly was an offense to the first century Jew because it unraveled centuries of a religious system based on do, the cross, forever and always. It talks about, it's a revealer of what God has done, what the law could never do, Jesus did. What we could never do on our own, in our own human effort, Jesus did, and Hebrews says he did it once and for all. The cross sends this message. You're not good enough. Look at verse 12. I wish those, and this is where Paul's frustration comes to a head. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. One translation says, I, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul's not mincing words. Friends, he, he, he's, listen, he, he's, he's tired of being attacked. He's tired of them speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And essentially he says, listen, if they want to cut just a little bit of flesh, of your flesh, thinking that that's going to help them add up in God's eyes, why don't they just cut all of their male parts off and see if that helps them add up all the more? Can you imagine <laughs> being a first century Gentile 
new Christian, you know, kind of being on the fence, kind of listening to the, you know, the message of the Judaizers. And that makes, that makes, kind of makes sense. And, 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 but then receiving this letter from Paul, or how about being a pastor for century Christian church, reading this letter out loud to your house church. All right. Section number two, freed to. So we're freed from something. We're freed from the yoke of bondage, the yoke of slavery, always having to do to add up in God's eyes. But we're also freed to something. Verse 13, for you were called to something, Paul says. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve. There's that word again, serve one another. He says, you've been called to. What have we been called to? We've been called to liberty. What does this mean? We're freed from something. We're free to. We're called from something. We're called in to something else. But Paul says, listen, don't use this newfound freedom. There's a risk in the message of grace, isn't there? It sounds like this. I, um, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, I can't earn my salvation. God's got that covered. And if I do sin, there's grace in my life. God has forgiven me. So it really doesn't matter what I do. So Paul, Paul anticipates this. He anticipates it in, in Romans. He says, listen, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Great. Man, if I'm th- sin feels pretty good. If sin doesn't feel good, I've often said, you're not doing it right. So if, if, if grace abounds, if we, if we get more of God's grace when we sin, then let's just keep sinning. And Paul says, absolutely not. You don't get to do whatever you want. The story of my son. I love to tell the story. I've told it before. I'll probably tell it another 30 times uh, because the imagery of it is just hilarious to me. He was probably in second grade, maybe third grade, and he was at a Wednesday night service, our, our, our kids' service. And the kids were around, they're being a little squirrely. And the pastor said, Listen, you don't get to, he, this pastor just said, You don't get to do whatever you want. To which my son in his second grade or third grade mind heard, you get to do whatever you want. He promptly stands up on the pew in the middle of church with kids running around. He begins to shake his butt around. I get to do whatever I want. It was a showstopper. All the kids' eyes get real big. What's going to happen now? Listen, friends, freedom is not the right to do what I want. It's the freedom to do what I ought. And Paul says, listen, at the very top of the list, it's the freedom to love. Grace doesn't excuse sin. It empowers righteous living. He goes on, verse four, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Really, Paul? The entire law, you want to fulfill it in one word? You shall love. There's that word again. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Talk about offensive. Paul, you want to section off from Genesis, you know, essentially to Malachi. Centuries of things that I've been taught, my religion that's been handed down by my ancestors. And you want to be so arrogant and so cavalier as to try to summarize it in one word. And Paul says, yeah, we'll summarize it this way. Where does he get this? I think he borrows from Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 37, as a summary to the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the apostle Paul distills it down even further. Why? I think because this Paul realizes that if we don't love God, we're never really going to love our neighbor anyway. Friends, if you were to just hold up your Bible and kind of section off, kind of pinch off the Old Testament, 
We have to put ourselves in the shoes of these first century Jews who are hearing this and how offensive this would be. No wonder Paul was under attack. He reduces this down to kind of a, kind of just one thought, one word. I, I, um, I enjoy playing golf. I, I never label myself as a golfer, but a few years ago, I took some golf lessons. I worked with a golf pro. You would never be able to tell by looking at my golf game. And uh, one of the things that this golf pro did was work with me on what's called a swing thought. So something to kind of encapsulate the mechanics that he was working with me on. So my swing thought was this, low, you know, as, as I approach the ball, I get ready to take a shot, low and slow. In other words, he was working with me on not picking you know, picking my body up as I swung the club and, and then make sure you go slow. In other words, you're not going to try to kill the ball. And I've had wonderful, beautiful, moderate success with that. I think the Apostle Paul gives us a swing thought for the Old Testament. Love. Love one another. That's what we're freed to. All right. Cove Church's final section. Here's how I want to wind down. This is actually a pretty famous portion of scripture known as um, the, the fruit of the spirit. Some of you have had this memorized since you were a little kid. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna actually, I'm not even gonna read the fruit of the spirit. I, I wanna take maybe a little bit different approach. Uh, you can go buy books, you can look up all kinds of sermons, listen to all kinds of sermons on what the fruit of the spirit are, what each of those words mean, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good, all of that. What I've never really heard in a message is how do we actually walk it out. What's the blueprint? And Paul, I believe, gives us a blueprint for walking out the fruit of the Spirit. And so it would be encapsulated this way, walk by, led by, live by. Those are the words that Paul uses, walk by, led by, live by. I want you to be able to see it. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, Paul says, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This, this phrase walk by, it's a little Greek word that means in all we do, it's the full circle of life. Everything that we say, everything that we view, all of our actions, the spirit of God is with us. What's the point here? Friends, it's perspective. Boy, boy, if we really lived in this awareness that everything I say, the spirit of God is in me, here's that. Everything that I hear, everything that I view with my eyes, the Holy Spirit sees all of that and is with me. Why is that important? Because if we've said yes to Jesus, he is. Number two, he says, but if you are led by, so we have walk by, that has to do with our perspective. Uh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is a little Greek phrase that means to be led or, or to bring or to carry. It's someone else's work. It's the leader's work. What's the point here? It's surrender. When I follow someone else, I'm surrendering to their lead. This is the Spirit's work. It's His leading. He's carrying us. We simply lay our burdens down. We surrender to the Spirit of God and allow Him to do His work. One of the spiritual disciplines that I've been working on as I'm led by the Spirit, is to actually, in prayer, visualize myself laying my burden, whatever's keeping me up at night, if you will, before the Lord and asking two questions. What's your perspective on this, Lord? And what do I need to do about it? What's your perspective? What do I need to do? As I give you this burden, cast all your care on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. And finally, the Apostle Paul in verse 25 says this, 
if we live by the Spirit. So we walk by, we're led by, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Notice that phrase as we, as we, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? This is a little Greek word that means to advance. It's to walk a line, it's to adhere. There's the language of, of military discipline in this word. What's the point here? It's initiative. So the, the, the first point is this, it's perspective, walk by. The second point is, is um, walk by, led by, has to do with surrender. Here it's live by, has to do with initiative. It, it does matter what we do, friends, but it only matters what we do based on what God has already done through Jesus Christ. Keeping in step with the Spirit, it speaks to our daily discipline of, of prayer and yieldedness and scripture and fellowship and worship and service. Listen, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. The Apostle Paul, if it was opposed to effort, the Apostle Paul was one of the hardest workers the, the Christian world has ever known. But he never did it to earn his salvation. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So how do we live out the fruit of the Spirit? Walk by, led by, live by. Maybe we could summarize it this way up on the screen. I can't, but he can. But here's the mystery. He can through me. So in all of life, I walk, he leads, and I follow. In all of life, Cove Church. In all of life, I'm free to experience him always. I'm, I'm free to be led. I'm free to keep in step with the Spirit of God. I'm free to love. And why? It's not because of what I can do. It's because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cross. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the gospel of done. Thank you that the message that the cross sends, it, it sends forever and always this message of love, yes, but also this message that I'm not good enough. I never have been good enough. I never can be good enough, but you are. And thank you that you had a solution and that was to die in my place. You freed me. You freed us from sin. The yoke of bondage, Paul calls it. But you've also freed us to something else. You freed us to walk with you, to experience and live out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You freed us to love one another because of your great love. For us, thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, Cope Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.